Hi there. Thank you so much for listening. This is Queer Sounds. The summer of sound is coming to an end. Um, I'm very happy that you're listening again or for the first time. Either way, I'm grateful. My name is Hannah. My pronouns are they, them. September is just around the corner, so we are mentally preparing for the dark autumn days. And I feel like I've got the perfect guest to do that with today. Hi there, Eric. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, all things considered. Um, I'm still recovering from all of the festivals that I've been to this summer. But, mm. you know, I've got a lot of shows to look forward to in uh, in October in particular. I don't know what's going on, but, you know, I guess we're still just catching up on that, on those on those. I don't want to say post-COVID because it's still happening, but post-restriction mm. era. Yes, yes, that sounds good to me. <laughs> Please introduce yourself a little bit. Your your name, your pronouns, uh, how might people know you? Uh, so I'm Eric Torino. Um, my pronouns are he, him, and I'm a musician and artist from uh, the New England region of America uh, and a visual artist as well. I mean, I dabble in a lot of different things. Yeah, and I, I just released a new record called Innovations of Grave Perversity that uh, you might be aware of. <laughs> We're going to get all into your music later this episode, including, of course, a um, a track of your own at, at the end of this episode. But I'm glad you mentioned visual artist because when I look at your album cover, the obvious... Um, I'm just going to keep to the Dutch pronunciation here because... Uh, Van Gogh really doesn't cut it. The Van Gogh reference <laughs> on your um, on your album cover there, I really love the aesthetic of it. What um, how did how what did you what was the process to recreate that visual aesthetic? Well, it it was a concept to begin with. It was uh, this idea that well, I'd finished the record, and it doesn't always go in this way. Sometimes I'll have the album cover first. And then I'll make the record kind of around that. Um, but with this album, I I made a very clear decision to not have that in mind and to make the music as a whole and then get to the point where I, you know, would start thinking about what do I want it to, to look like. Um, but so once it was completed, uh, I guess I tried out one or two other things first. But for the most part, this was the uh, the concept from, from the beginning. And I wanted it to... I wanted it to look like a person with determination to emerge from the darkness. And that's why it's kind of a portrait that's in shadow, but, you know, moving towards the light and it kind of veers to uh, the right, you know, it's, it's, it's lurching forward in a way. Um, the process, it's actually something that is sort of unlike anything else that I've done before, because usually I'm pretty cognizant of of how things come to be but it, it, it's almost a cliche but but it kind of just happened i kind of uh was one night was just putting this thing together and then it, it just it was there you know it was finished before me um and it's i i call it a painting and a painting when i'm using air quotes but it's and there is paint there's paint involved but it's more of a kind of collage of drawing and photography and paint and and some 
graphic digital stuff and so it's really kind of a composite of all these different mediums all right so talk me to the process here like the actual practical process because van gogh has such a distinct style when it comes to the brush strokes how did you manage to recreate that well i was looking at uh samples of his work and that you know was a definite inspiration intentional inspiration for that cover and the rest of the artwork in the album as well um the back cover is the back cover actually is if you have a copy of the physical uh vinyl you you can very faintly see a tree in the in the back um an actual photograph of a tree that's kind of uh superimposed over a, a painting with some brush strokes and inside the record the the lyric sheet is also a painting of a, a snowy field. Um, and all of those were inspired stylistically um, by his work. But it, it, it wasn't... See, that's the part that, that's hard to talk about. Because, I mean, I had, a, I had a photograph of myself that I was basing it on. And then I kind of just, you know, did some painting on, on, on one canvas and then some drawing on, a, on some paper. And then I would scan those and, and kind of lay them on top of each other and and, you know, kind of mold it all around um, digitally and just kind of see where it landed. And I didn't really have, I mean, I had a, I had the concept in mind, but I didn't have a visual picture of, in, in my mind, of that cover. It just kind of happened. Um, yeah, it was just, just uh, the... it was just a, a, a lucky, um, I don't want to call it lucky because that, you know, undermines your skill, definitely. But it's probably just a happy coincidence of things getting together in exactly the right way um speaking right. of things coming together in exactly the right way i think it's about time we get some music all of the members of fleetwood mac together on stage to um well the audience is there to enjoy it first track is landslide took my love and i took it down Oh, me, 
that guitar playing is fucking awesome. I'm, I'm amazed by how well it all sounds live. And just the general vibe, it all just feels so calm and wholesome and amazing. And that's just the song in and of itself, That not even mentioning that it's a live version. So, um, other than all of the inherent qualities of the song, Eric, what made you pick Landslide live at Wembley in 1980? 80, yeah. Well, the live version specifically I chose because, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a... A soft little song. I think we think of it as this soft little song, but if you listen to the album version, it's it's actually kind of jaunty. Um, and this version, in my mind, is is the definitive version. It's she's just wringing every drop of emotion out of every line, uh, and it just really that that really hit home for me. But this song was one of the first songs that I remember as a, a child. My dad used to play a lot of interesting stuff around the house, but this was definitely one of the songs that I heard a lot. Um, and it, it was it was an important song because it made me realize the breadth of what it means to be alive. And I, I know that sounds very grand, but it but it was. Um, I, I remember I must have been like five, you know, I was I was a kid and I heard that line, I'm getting older too. And it, it kind of just like stopped me in my tracks. And even as a, a five-year-old, I thought like, oh God, I'm getting older too. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and I, I've never stopped thinking about it since. <laughs> five-year-old with an existential crisis because that's exactly what the world needs sometimes. Yeah, I guess so. Out of, uh, out of all of the versions, is this also um, the version your dad played the most? That I don't remember, but I know that the this live, I think it's actually just called Live, uh, this record was one of, if not the first vinyl records that I ever owned when I, I don't know, I must've been 12 or 13 or something. And, uh, so that was the version that I m- most connected with, but I'm pretty sure I, I would think my dad probably was playing the, the white album version, you know, the regular studio version. Was, was there a specific point in time when you decided, you know what, I'd like this live version better than the, uh, than the studio version? I think it was as soon as I heard it. It really just amps up the emotion in the song um, infinitely. It's, I mean, it's a beautiful song in any version that you that you could find. Uh, they do. They did a, a reunion in I think it was 1997 a concert called the Dance, and there's a really great version of of Landslide from that as well. But this one, and I think it's actually quite a bit longer too, so it must be slower a lot slower than the the uh standard album version she sounds almost like she's in tears i don't know if that's true or if if she's just tired or or, you know whatever the circumstances were but it it just it hits hard emotionally yeah this this version is um close to five minutes right and i think it's a relatively short song on the record yeah um just for you listening um, at home, on the road, or wherever you listen to this podcast, you um, just heard like half of the song, maybe, just to get into the mood of Fleetwood Mac. And if you want to uh, check out the entire song, you can do so at 
the Queer Sounds playlist. Just search for Queer Sounds on Spotify. You'll find it. You can find the entire five-minute version there as well as all of the other songs that were last featured um, in the past year, roughly. But yeah, no, this uh, this this song as stripped down and um, frail as it sounds like mm. it, you can you could hear a pin you could hear a pin drop um i feel like it's also kind of reflective of your personality like calm quiet kind of introverted is that a correct uh assumption i think so um i haven't always been calm <laughs> uh, i definitely feel calmer these days um introverted for sure I've always been an introverted kind of person. And I do think landslide is, it's a, it's, I would take that as a, um, you know, a characterization of me as a person. It's also, it's, it's about the difficulty of, of changing. And, and I think that's really important to who I am at my core. Um, and that line too is, is so, has been so important to me uh, about, I've been afraid of changing because I, I built my life around you. And, you know, I think she's talking about Lindsay Buckingham or, or a person, you know, a relationship, a romantic relationship. It, it, it expands beyond that. I, I think of that, that line in terms of any, any life that you've set up for yourself is, is um, temporal. You know, it's, it's not, it's not uh, permanent. And it's always a dangerous, scary thing to realize that even though you've built this this whole thing around this idea, it's it's got to change and it always will have to change. And certainly that's that's a, a, a value that's uh, been at the you know at the core of me for some time. I mean, with everything changing and you growing older too, how much has changed since you were this five year old hearing landslide for the first time because I feel like when you identified with that song on such an emotional level all of those years ago and you still do, I could almost argue the opposite and not that much has changed at all. Yeah, it it is interesting, uh, because there is that dichotomy. It's it's like deep in your core some things don't change in the slightest. You know, you you are exactly that same person. Um, and you know, you could argue that just the circumstances change, but I, I guess I, if I really analyze it, I feel at present very much like that five-year-old, but I think for a big chunk of time, I didn't feel that way. Uh, and I think probably a lot of people have that experience where you're a child and then, you know, that time where you're a teenager and in your twenties, you know, you, you become kind of a different person and then eventually it kind of all cycles back. So I feel like in the last maybe five years, 10 years, uh, it, it has cycled back. And I do, I do feel like that, that kid listening to landslide. Again, what was the process? Like, um, what you were this, um, calm, introverted, um, five-year-old listening to Fleetwood Mac. What was in between? In between, there was well and there remains a lot musically there remains a lot of those same uh things that i branched out into which was more avant-garde um kind of punk stuff like Diamanda galas and lydia lunch and and patty waters and those kind of things come to mind and i still like all of that i very much so but um there was definitely a period where i veered 
away from softness in music and in my life, which is dangerous uh, territory, I think, to to um, explore, but, but something that we all do. I, I guess one of the big changes that happened in my life was I left the forest, which is where I am again, um, and I moved to the city. I moved to, to New York City and spent about 10 years there. And so things changed then um, and changed, you know, in the process, in the time when I was moving further and further away from, from the woods and, and into the city. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's actually a, a solid representation of, of the emotional change that, that movement away from the city, uh, away from the forest rather into the city and then back into the forest. It sounds like um, not only your personality changed, but the music uh, also changed based on where you lived. Do you think this um, calm acoustic aesthetic is representative of, as you call it, the woods, compared to this artsy punk that you were into in New York City because this sounds absolutely 100% believable like if you can if you if you think of New York City of course you're going to think of the Ramones Blondie and Talking Heads so artsy punk stuff and uh, so i feel like this is one on one um uh, just a perfect comparison it, but <clears throat> does your experience also line up with that comparison you're like on an emotional level in a, in a sense, it does. Uh, I definitely was making work that was more inclined to that kind of thing as I was uh, living that kind of life. But I never stopped liking um, and wanting to make the you know the more foresty, woodsy kind of sounding stuff too. Um, but yeah, my my very first record was called "Mountains of Nothing in Love." And that was actually the only record that I made when I lived in New York City. And it is it, abrasive. I, I would call it abrasive. I don't know if, if... I haven't listened to it in a long time because it came out of such a very uh, difficult, painful period. And uh, it's hard to go back there now. Um, but but when I made it, it was, it was the sound of a person really crying out for to 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 be heard i guess and to express that you know things were not well so when i was in the city that was really what i was was feeling and thinking i mean i don't know what it's like now because it's been such a long time since i've been there but even then in you know the 2000s early 2010s when things had been you know massively gentrified you know compared to the 60s or 70s it was still it's still a hard dirty place you know it's not it's not um welcoming and it it's not really it's not the kind of place that offers you know like a supportive environment it's very cutthroat it's very uh, you know all everyone for themselves kind of thing and so i'm i don't relate to that that's not the kind of person that i am and the or the kind of person that i would want to be and so that made it difficult, I think, for me to feel truly comfortable there. Yeah, so with your environment changing, um, your taste in music changing, your personality gradually changing over time, it was also part of uh, New York City, maybe, that 
made that force you to fear away from softness um right but in, at the same time it was in my personality that veered me uh you know to the city and you know it, it's all tied together so I, I don't feel like the city necessarily um changed me you know it was all kind of like ingrained in my sort of predestined path already yeah no i'm not i'm not trying to pin the blame on anything i'm just trying to <laughs> to to braid everything together into um into a nice narrative that makes sense you know mm. um mm. i think it's about time that we go listen to some am i supposed to call this artsy punk stuff it's definitely a more up-tempo it, than the previous song it, yeah it's a city song it's a city song. Um, okay. Well, what's in the name, isn't it? Taking my baby up to uh, taking my baby uptown by Joan Armitrading. Let's have a listen. I was walking down the road looking like a million dollars with a pretty person on my arm. I saw my son shouting, they were hooting and a hollering, they were saying I should never be born. I said, baby, are you hear that? Are you listening to the voices of fools? I said, baby, let me tell you what they're trying to do. I didn't want to turn my head But they started up again And the silly buses rang And the clang put too much on my brain But I said I trading taking my baby up town um yeah i just mentioned a couple of examples from um uh artsy punk acts from 1977 and i think that this is exactly what time this album was released so yeah i guess there are more connections to the city song than i uh than than i thought there were um why did you select this uh, this artist for your uh, queer artist spotlight this day in this episode? Well, I, I love Joan, and I always have loved Joan. Um, but specifically, this song, I was kind of shocked when I first heard this song. It's it is it's from nineteen, um, I think seventy eight, seventy seven or seventy eight, and it is even though 
I think to this day, she still isn't open about her sexuality, you know, publicly. Um, not that she's denied it, but certainly back then, if you, I mean, if you really listen to her songs, you can see that they have queer themes in them. Pronoun-wise, she doesn't really mention anything specifically. She keeps it sort of vague. Um, but on this song, even though she doesn't specifically say it's a woman that she's with, she she intentionally says a pretty person. It's it's such a bold, anti-homophobic song. You know, she's talking about basically just going out into the city with her girlfriend and people are shouting at her, you should have never been born. Um, and uh, talking about morals and all these kind of things, just because she's, I think she's holding her girlfriend's hand, you know, walking out through the city. Uh, it, it was a song that even, I, I couldn't even pinpoint a song written since, I mean, until recently, that was so blatantly defiant and optimistically defiant. You know, it's it's not a, a woe is me kind of song. It's not a song about how hard it is to go out as a queer person in the city. It's a, you know, it's a song that's saying kind of like, you know, fuck all those people. What we have is the best. We, you know, she only cares about the fact that she's in love with this, this woman. Yeah, I mean, um, I wasn't familiar with this artist before he showed it to me, so I kind of um, dove into what uh, who this person was. And you're right, it took her, uh, even on the most easiest of searches, fucking top of Wikipedia, uh, and I'm not entirely sure if it was there, her actual top of the page or just the first sentence in the personal life section. But yeah, she, you're right. She was notorious for not talking about her personal life. She did enter like a civil union ship with some woman at some point. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it the way that she is letting the lyrics speak for themselves and is like, you know, just listen to my songs and you'll figure out who I am. That's very, that I feel like that's a very strong point to make. How did you first uh, found out about this artist? How did I first find out about Joan? Uh, I think actually the way that I found out about a lot of artists in my teens was through a website called All Music, which still exists, but it's it's certainly less active uh, than it used to be. It yeah, it it was at one point sort of like the definitive place to find an artist's full catalog and ratings and reviews of all their records. But more importantly, you would you would look at someone like Fleetwood Mac and it would say, you know, here's a list of similar artists. And probably you'd click on, uh, you know, someone and then it would click on someone else and someone else and then it would lead you to Joan Armitrading. Um, so I'm pretty sure that's how I found out about her. But she also is is one of the favorite artists of um I, I have a lot of friends that also really like Joan and so it's it's nice to have that kind of communal thing um which is sort of unusual because I, I don't think that you're alone in not being familiar with her she's not uh overly popular certainly not in America and I would think that probably maybe in the UK she's that's her biggest market maybe but uh, I don't think she's she's as widely known as as she really should be yeah no uh, i mean she's not she wasn't doing bad for herself don't get me wrong but like i feel like 
less than a million monthly Spotify listeners, she would deserve more. I just at least let her pass oh, that yeah. million, one million mark, you know? So what about this artist made you feel like, yes, I want to listen more to this? Was it, was it, the, was it the lyrics? Was it your, the phase you were in at the time? Was it just a sound? What made her stand out? I think it, I think it probably was her voice. Uh, uh, most of the time when I'm really drawn to an artist, it's because of their voice. And, and I, usually I prefer a distinctive female voice. And she certainly has that. And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe how I discovered Joan was through Tracy Chapman, because I always liked Tracy Chapman. And I know that, you know, if you, if you look up Tracy Chapman, a similar artist will be Joan Armatrading for, I think, a lot of kind of superficial reasons, but also because they are introspective folk artists. Even though Joan um, veered towards a, a, a rockier thing at certain points in her career, but yeah, it is definitely also the lyrics, the the storytelling. She's she's an incredible writer. And that's the thing that I'm always drawn to as well, is a, somebody who is a great songwriter. So the uh, you being drawn to like the vocals and the lyrics, is that also something that makes you spend just a little bit more attention to your own vocals and lyrics in particular? Do you oh, have a priority yeah, sure. in your songwriting? Um, certainly, lyrically, I'm, I'm. well, is that true? I was going to say I'm spending most of my attention on the lyrics. Uh, and I, yeah, I'll stand by that. Um, though with this last record, I was, I was much more involved and interested in, in getting the melodies just so. But lyrically, you know, I'll, I'll write a draft of a song and I'll spend... Yeah, I could uh, this. Uh, there's a song on the record um, called "Felt" that opens the record. Actually, um, that I spent well over two years tweaking. I, you know, I wrote it. It was on the surface maybe seemingly done. It had a, a pretty defined melody and and set of lyrics, but I, but it wasn't quite right. And so, literally for over two years, I would. I would go back and forth with, you know, moving a couple words around or, or substituting one word for another. It's, it's a really important part of, of what I do to make sure that the words are coloring the story in exactly the right way. Because when you write a song, you know, if you're, it's not like writing a, a novel or even a poem. You have so few words. There's only so many words that you can fit into the span of three to five minutes or whatever. And so you have to make sure that you're using exactly the right words to to paint the picture that you want. So lyrically, yeah, it, it's it's always really important for me to get to get that exactly as I want it to be. Um, and vocally, it's it's kind of the opposite of that idea in terms of what I like because what I what I like when I listen to music and what I try to do with my own music is to make the vocal not this clean like perfectly you know. Um, constructed thing but for it to be imperfect and jagged and have you know nuances of feeling throughout and but that isn't to say that you just record you know the first thing that comes out of your mouth and that's that's the take that you're going to use it's it's still a hard process to get that right but it may be in some ways a lot harder uh, than just making it sound perfect and you know hitting all the perfect notes because you're trying to again paint this picture with something that's kind of 
undefinable. You know, that's it's a it's the emotion in those words. And I know I've I've spoken to friends of mine who are musicians as well who say the same thing that the vocal is like the most elusive, difficult part of of recording a song because it, you can record two vocals that that you might play to someone else and to them they say these sound exactly the same. But to me, I'll say, you know, one of them is is usable and one of them is a disaster. So with every um, vocal being like a very important, let's call it like a, a bridge to carry emotions to the listener. Whereas, you know, if 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 there's two islands, you're one, the listener is the other, the... Mm-hmm lyrics are the bridge your vocals are the vehicle like i'm just trying Mm. to yeah Um, yeah (laughs) Yeah, i I like that um so speaking of like very visual metaphors uh i felt like there are also a lot of those in your lyrics um is that uh uh that's i'm not entirely sure if the ones that i noticed are representative of your entire work i just it's just something I noticed while 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 scrolling scrolling through. Um, is that a deliberate style choice, especially considering you only get so little words uh, to literally get a message across? Um, like so, instead of just saying what you want to say and get to the point, you decide to paint a picture, set a scene. Um, how 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 what what's the stylistic choice in this it it is definitely an intentional choice to work in that way and it's something that only recently because i've been kind of going through my older songs um in preparation for sort of a conceptual live performance which is you know we'll see what becomes of that but so i've been going back through my older songs and it has made me realize that even though the recordings from my two records before this one sonically are very different, you know, they're sort of in a different genre. The actual storytelling in the lyrics is, is pretty consistent. I mean, you know, the, they're telling different stories, but the way in which they're told is through a, a similar voice. So yeah, it's been, it's been an intentional choice as, as a way of, sort of defining the way that I write, I guess, and not necessarily intentionally, but it's, it's just the way that it comes out of me. And it's the way that it, it feels most natural to express myself uh, and express, you know, the story that I'm trying to tell. When um, listening to your music, I was thinking mostly about artists like Fleet Foxes and early Bonnie Vare type of stuff. I'm not entirely sure if those references you would agree with but you know those that, that's just my frame of reference but i do feel like it really matches this like like you mentioned new england woodland type of aesthetic i could definitely imagine like a little cottage, a cottage in the woods in uh in in maine somewhere i'm not entirely sure if you're in maine but that's beyond the point uh what what made you settle on like a musical style for for this album well it's it was kind of a natural thing I, I had made a, a record called Champagne and Childhood Hunger in 2018, I think. Um, and the the concept behind that was it, it was using a lot of little um, electronic sounds and sort of distorting and amplifying them 
Um, and, and, and I did all of that on my own. I made that record, you know, completely by myself. And so after that, I, I, I wanted to do something totally different. And so what appealed to me was this idea of working live, um, unfiltered, you know, unprocessed, just as they are instrumentation, organic instrumentation, but with other musicians. And so through the, that experience of finding the other musicians to play with and, and, and setting forth with this idea that everything should be natural and, and live um, and organic, I I sort of just found this sound, um, which is, I guess, folkier than, than anything that I had done before, but also more orchestral. Uh, and it, it really did match what I was trying to tell, uh, what I was trying to say through this story, which was, you know, in a way it is kind of like an epic sort of story. It's this journey from a real place of despair into uh, a life full of hope and, and, um, potential for joy. And, and so it was a, a suitably kind of dramatic style choice to work with a lot of strings and, and wind instruments and that kind of thing. One of, um, my favorite songs of yours that I've listened to was uh, An Augury of Hope because that intro is just so goddamn eerie. I feel like it really matches the vibe of our next song because mm. um, we are going to listen to Marian Faithful and Nick Cave song called There is a Ghost. And when you listen to An Augury of Hope by... Uh, Eric Torino, you definitely would feel like there is a little bit of a ghost in that intro. Um, but yeah, no, let's let's have a listen to the song with that actual title, Marion Faithful, Nick Cave. There is a ghost And it goes out On the It's lifted up It feels and flows On many hands On many hands Oh, my lover Oh, my lover, never was there another Where has my lover man gone? There is a dream Got many times, so many times. When you remember who I am, just call. When you remember who I am, just call. When you remember who I am, just 
Absolutely fucking beautiful, this one. Absolutely gorgeous, this track. Marion Faithful, Nick Cave, There Is A Ghost. I'm, same question as before, what made you select this track in particular, but this time in the category Best Concert Experience? Yeah, so this one is a, a really special moment in my life. Uh, a lot of the music that I make is is a result of the experience of having lost a really important person in in my life and and I actually dedicated this last record to her and an, another friend who passed away um so I had a friend uh who was from childhood was was my you know partner in life I would say and she was a, a great fan of Marian Faithful as well and we went to pretty much any concert of hers that we could go to that was in you know in the area and we moved to New York together. And so when we lived in New York, we saw her a lot because she came to New York a lot. I heard Marianne perform this in December of 2011 at uh, a place called the city winery. My friend had passed away in November of, of that year. So she had, she had just passed away. We were, we had tickets to this show. And uh, so her seat was going to be ceremoniously empty. And, I think Marianne was aware of us because we were very young in comparison to most of her audience. So I think she she sort of knew us in that way, but it was around this same time that I had become really close with um, a friend of mine who's still a great friend of mine to this to this day, who knows Marianne and works with her on some of her projects. And so he made her aware of the fact that my friend, whose name was Ashley, passed away. And Marianne was... Um, moved by this. And so she offered to perform this song and dedicate it to my friend who passed away. And I didn't know that she was going to pick this song. Um, you know, I had, I didn't, I certainly didn't ask her to do this song. And so it was kind of a surprise actually, because she definitely has a, a lot more sort of obvious eulogy kind of songs in her catalog, but, but it made sense to me after, um, maybe even, you know, years after, after thinking about why, for a long time, I, I wondered why she chose this one, but I was certainly glad she did because this is one of my favorite songs of hers, and one of it's from my favorite album of hers called "Before the Poison." But uh, but Marianne wrote this song for Brian Jones, who was a really close a member of the Rolling Stones and a really close friend of hers, who also passed away, you know, tragically young. Um, also, yeah, my my friend when she passed away, we both were, I think, twenty four, so we were, you know kids but so it made sense why she picked this song about really about kind of letting go and 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 accepting that you know we we aren't leaving each other we're just kind of moving into different planes you being uh so much in touch with your emotions whether that's a friend uh passing or your uh just the general emotions you feel when creating music 
it sounds difficult to deal with sometimes. How how do you keep a excuse a straight word, but straight? Uh, how, how how do you keep a straight face through through it all? How do you keep on moving? I mean, it's not easy. <laughs> I'll say that, but and it's taken me a long time to feel like I I've gotten to a place where I can say that things are steady in that regard. But and it sounds a little sort of boring this answer but but really what's kept me in a forward momentum of of feeling hopeful is is being healthy and and you know working out and and eating well and doing all that kind of stuff that that really has made a big difference in my life and and uh, and you know keeping things clean so to speak you know has has helped uh, me feel more I don't want to say control of my emotions because it's that that makes it sound like that that sounds unhealthy to me controlling your emotions. But yeah, it's 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 been a long difficult process to get to a point where I I feel a stability emotionally because as a as a person who's sort of predisposed to be highly emotional, then having gone through not just my friend's passing but you know deeply traumatic uh events in my life that's you know that's a lot to juggle and so it's it's been a complicated process to get where i am today but but i i will say that i i finally do feel you know happy and hopeful you sound hopeful um like just the way your your voice sounds like i i, I can tell that you're saying this with like a modest smile on your face um <laughs> i um uh, also know that uh, in a past phase of your life you were dealing with like severe depression and agoraphobia i don't know if that is during the same time as the events you described before but i bet like that is one hell of a mixture of like you said traumatic events what what do you want to what do you want to say about this uh, well it it was it was um a hell of a mixture and it, and it was at the same time uh, i have always had you know a, a predisposition for those kinds of troubles but certainly it got significantly worse when my friend passed away a whole you know it was a whole uh storm of sort of domino effect of of one difficult thing you know led to another and to another and to another it's 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 hard to kind of summarize what it's been like, I guess, because it's, it's always changing, you know, the experience of trying to keep your, your head on straight and to, to feel like you're doing the right thing in terms of keeping yourself emotionally healthy. I mean, it's a daily struggle, but it's been some time now since I've had a really significant bout of depression. So that's wonderful to say. Um, but the agoraphobia piece that you mentioned is is still very much uh, active. So that's something I'm very much dealing with uh, on a daily basis and trying to figure out what the best, I mean, and taking steps to, to move forward with, but trying to figure out how to get around it and how to have a successful, happy life in sort of the confines of, of that circumstance. Just when you're uh, listening to this and you're not entirely sure what agoraphobia is, Eric, could you give a brief explanation? Well, uh, I mean, I think there are, there are certainly different levels for different people, but 
basically it's a it's a fear of going outside it's a fear of leaving a safe space um and you know for some people that means they can only you know get to the center of town or they don't they're afraid to drive on the highway or they don't want to go to like a concert where it's a big open space with a lot of people for some people it means they can't you know touch their foot outside of their front door and for me it's it's meant at different points in my life all of those things at the moment you know i'm able i luckily i'm fortunate to be in a situation where i have a a a place to be and i'm i have a you know the comfort of uh privacy and, and sort of a big outdoor space that i can go into and i'm and that is a space where i feel safe and able to travel to you know outside of my home out into my yard but uh but but that's that's pretty much as far as it goes it's it's been years since i've left my home um and it, it all ties into the pandemic too because that's made this much more difficult than it than it would be otherwise just prior to the pandemic beginning i was kind of finally making some strides and getting back out into the world which is well i think you know as we've been talking it's important to remember that there were times when like i I lived in new york city i was out living my life you know quote unquote freely but yes but i was just saying prior to the pandemic i was making strides and getting back out into the world and that kind of all got shut down all all of that progress kind of got stalled um and so it's you know i'm still still doing the things that i i have to do to you know be healthy and, and try to move forward with the agoraphobia piece of my life but but yeah it's been a long time since i've been out there how do you see yourself performing um i mean in all of the things we've talked about like other than the agoraphobia part you are also just a relatively introverted person who puts a lot of emotion into your music how do you consider protecting yourself or staying in your comfort zone um, with all of the people out there and all of the emotion you put into music and all of the things people might know about you through your music it's 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 sort of two different things the willingness to reveal myself emotionally is is something that i'm i'm willing to do i I feel i don't i don't know if i'd say i feel safe doing that but but i am able to do it and it's it's uh rewarding in a way that i desire you know it's a it's a reward that i like to uh feel but physically is another story you know it's 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 a the agoraphobia is rooted in a in a in a fear of feeling physically unsafe emotionally unsafe is something that i've figured out how to handle and something that i've dealt with enough that i you know i know my way around it physically unsafe it's it's hard to know if you're there's ever going to be a way to feel um secure and putting yourself in a position that you deem to be physically unsafe and i think it it all ties back because the weight that i put on my emotions and perceived emotions is what leads me to feel unsafe physically you know it's 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 uh your mind builds up a lot of what ifs you know a lot of uh you know, if you really break it down, there is potential danger everywhere. There is here in this room as I'm talking to you right now. Um, it's, it's exacerbated when you go out into the world and there are other people and other circumstances that, you know, can impact you. 
So it's, it's kind of about quieting the mind. That's kind of the key to getting, getting past it. Um, just as a brief reminder to the both of us that uh, this is a, a queer podcast, I feel like the danger lurking around, the, around every corner, you might as well replace the word danger with homophobes, transphobes, queerphobes in any way, shape, or form. Is that, mm-hmm. uh, is that also part of your, uh, your, your, your agoraphobia in, this, in that sense? Yeah, it, it it definitely is. It's it's something that I don't think about on a daily basis because I'm in a situation where I don't have to, really, because I put myself in that situation. But certainly in my, you know, in analyzing how I've gotten to where I am today, that is a big piece of it. And I don't, and because I am where I am, I don't really know what it's like out there now. But I know that when I was out there, it was it was something that I, it, it made it much harder to feel safe leaving my house even in new york in in you know 10 years ago it, it was still a, a place where you couldn't you couldn't you know openly hold your boyfriend's hand on the street and and not have to worry that someone is going to physically or emotionally you know try to hurt you yeah and i've experienced as i think all queer people have those kind of things and they they seem like not a big deal but they add up to a big deal you know eventually it really can can scar you yeah and that's actually also partly why i chose that joan armatrading song because that when i first heard that that was that was sort of the experience that it connected with for me that that fear of you know have of worry it, it's a worry about judgment but it's not just judgment it's it's a worry of physical harm mm, i feel like um with this fear there is also in, in, particularly in your, in your music a lot of hope uh, and 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 optimism and I'm not entirely I mean obviously writing music always is therapeutic at least every musician I've ever talked to uh, confer- would confirm that I'm not entirely sure where the question is in that but um, but yeah no every- well I, I will say it's a thing that I don't necessarily think of that therapy my music as therapy certainly like you're saying everyone does sort of feel that way um and there is to a degree i do feel um there's a sense of therapy and getting out what i get out through my music but i i almost make a a conscious decision not for it to not be that it not to be like my my therapy um exercise you know writing songs you know my therapy exercise is therapy (laughs) and writing songs is is my craft and so it's it's something that I, I don't think of as um, a conscious therapeutic outlet, but but of course it's it is in its way by the design of it it is. Yeah. Um. So if um, people would like to check out this little bit of emotional processing, maybe get a, get a sense of hope, get a sense of. Um, beautiful queer poetry with wonderfully wonderful foresty images um you can definitely go ahead and check out eric torino's work um or you could just stick around for another uh, minute or so and we will play one of his tracks for now though this has been queer sounds thank you so much for listening if you want to support the show financially you can do so through 
you can do so through patreon.com slash queer sounds there you can get access to the queer sounds discord our uh, little album of the week thing and a lot of fun extra perks like stickers just a bunch of friends you can you, you get to hang out with all of these cool people uh you can also hang out with a lot of cool people uh when when you follow queer sounds pod on twitter i mean i know there's also a lot of not cool people on twitter but you know we're, we're there we'll protect you we're cool same thing goes for instagram by the way at queer sounds pod tumblr at queer sounds pod this has been the last episode of the qs summer sound uh, this was a lot of uh, fun. I feel like I'm definitely gonna gonna do this again next year. You know, uh, get a get a little bit of a Queer Sounds Festival going on here in your feed, Eric. You, uh, you you've got any fun any any words of goodbye? Uh, well, it's been really nice talking to you. I, it's been a delight to to share some of uh, the songs of my life. Uh, with you and the listeners yeah i guess uh i just want to say thank you thank you for having me all right thank you for coming on and thank you for listening here's the last track of the day i didn't live there by eric torino i cast my mind back to a cornfield in south bend indiana I realize now that Every day blossomed glory or disaster I was ripe with devotion then Fireflies hung in our eyes We were seven hundred miles from home Sloughing of cigarettes and pride I was only passing through Could have landed anywhere Yes, I stayed a year or two But I didn't But I 
And trim 